Today, we're going to look at a big, huge thing, five big, huge things, five great truths that change our lives in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so I hope you'll turn there and, and uh, look in your Bible. We're going to turn to a couple other passages as well. So uh, you can maybe uh, take your bulletin and bookmark this passage because we'll jump to another couple and then come back to this. But five great truths that change our lives. Uh, see, a lot of things are true, right? <laughs> I started to say some, a color thing, like the color, but did, did you know that nothing has color? It's the way it reflects light that your eyes pick up on that and it makes you think it has color. I know your kids are thinking, pastor's lost his mind. Study it and you'll agree. Um, but, but there are things that are true that don't really change your, your life, right? Like we could go out in the parking lot and we could just, you don't walk out of here after church and say, well, gee, which car do I want to take home? You take home the one that brought you here. You take your car and you go in that. And that's a truth, but it doesn't really change your life. I mean, Jeff and Sue have a lot cooler car than I do, but it doesn't really change their life. But these truths change your life. Now, starts from the inside out. But without these truths, life would be just empty. We need to understand what God's Word has shared with us. And, you know, uh, I'm not really happy with the political uh, landscape in our country. I'm very unhappy with all the pot-shotting that people do to each other. And in fact, somebody asked me if I watched the debates, and I've always said no. If they truly debated, I would watch it, but they don't. They just take turns yelling at each other, and that's not really a debate. And a debate requires listening and responding. Uh, and and so I'm, I'm frustrated with that. I'm frustrated with the pandemic. It's made us change so many things. Uh, things that used to be simple, and now they're not. And uh, so a lot of things have changed. Um, but these truths anchor us, regardless of the shifting sands or the political climate, the cultural climate, the medical climate, these anchor us to where we can find joy in Christ. On the worst day of your life, you are in Christ. You are His child. You will be with him. You are a child of God, a brother of Jesus, and you'll be with the Lord in heaven. Now, it could be today. If it is today, I hope it's because he calls us all up in the rapture. It could be tomorrow. It could be before we finish this message. But God is connected with us, and we are connected with him and we will have that connection forever. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and begin with me in verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, writing to brothers and sisters in Christ, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand. They trusted Christ by believing the gospel and responding to it and receiving Christ. And then he says... 
by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I have preached to you unless you believed in vain. Now he's not saying you are, you are saved if you just hang on really hard, that if you let go at any time, if you ever doubt God, then you're doomed. Now what he's saying, and, and it's ratified in other passages of Scripture, is that some people profess a belief in Christ and then just kind of walk away. They don't really follow through. And that if you have trusted Christ, then you should continue to walk with Christ. It's the evidence of Christ in your life that gives you the confidence of knowing you're in a good relationship with the Lord. Verse 3, here's the gospel message. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. All right, now let's pause right here. Here's the first really big thing from verse 3, is that Jesus Christ died for our sins. Now, it's, you, you heard this when you were a little kid, right? that Jesus died for your sin. If you were raised in church, then you heard this for a long time. Um, but it, it should blow your mind that we believe in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And in the Trinity, they are equally God. It's one God in three persons. A little bit of a mystery, but clearly explained in Scripture. We can know it's the truth and we can believe it. Now, in the role of Father, God the Father oversees things. In the role of the Son, Jesus submits to the Father. But His relationship with His Son, God's relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is not the same relationship I have with my kids. They are completely equal. And in that relationship, Jesus Christ accepted in eternity past, in his role as the Son, he accepted the plan of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, that he would be the one who would suffer agony and die on the cross. And the Father agreed that he would watch his beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, he would watch that son die on that cross for us. And that he would even turn away from him while he was on that cross. So that Jesus would suffer the separation that we deserved from God. He paid for us. This is not just, oh yeah, Jesus died for my sins. We know that. But let it blow your mind. Let it let it be mind-boggling thing that, that Jesus died. The Son of God, God the Son, the one way back in eternity past who said, let there be light, and there was light. The one who formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into him the breath of life, God died for us. Because our sins required a payment. The wages of sin is death. And all have sinned 
and come short of the glory of God. So Jesus Christ, God the Son, in the, the greatness of creation, He came down onto this little planet, this seemingly insignificant planet. When you look at the, what we know of the universe, Earth seems like a puny little place. I have a picture of the solar system that somebody did. And it's this, you know, just our solar system is massive and amazing. And there's a little arrow there to this teeny tiny little dot that it says, you are here. <laughs> and that's just one of the many solar systems in the many galaxies in the massive universe. And that God who created those stars that we can't even see, but they're there for His glory. He died for you. Not because you're worth it in and of yourself, but because He loved you. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life because of His great love. Now, notice here that Paul says in verse 3, I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. So I said, mark your spot here in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, and turn please to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. It's, it's right about here in the Bible. Does that help? Isaiah is one of the major prophets. The difference between the major prophets and the minor prophets is not that the major ones were more impressive, it's that they wrote longer books. So Isaiah had a long book. In fact, Isaiah is sometimes called a snapshot of the Bible because there's 66 chapters in Isaiah and there's 66 books in the Bible and Isaiah is kind of broken into two books. One has 39 uh, chapters and one has 27, uh, like the New Testament uh, and the Old Testament. And so Isaiah is a, a, a picture of the whole scope of Scripture. There's a lot of great truth in Isaiah. We're in the book of Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, Isaiah 53. Okay. Isaiah 53. Right? And if you haven't found it, that's okay. Just listen and I'll read it. Okay, Isaiah 53, look in verse 4. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we, humanity, esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of, for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Now, when we read verse 6, I want you to read every time it says we or us. Will you join with me in saying it, okay? All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Wow. He died for our sins. Take one more turn to Psalm 22, please. Psalm 22. 
Psalms is the 19th book. So if you start at Genesis, go 18 more, you end up in Psalms. Uh, it's a little bit before Isaiah, but Psalm 22. And this is amazing because this psalm was written in the life of David. It says at the opening that this is to the chief musician set to the tune of to the deer of the dawn. It's a psalm of David. It's something that David wrote when he was on the earth hundreds of years before Christ. Look at the first verse. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? See, that very verse is what Jesus said from the cross. Now, I don't think Jesus was sitting around thinking, you know, when I get on the cross, I need to share something that's from Scripture. I think I'll pick that verse. I, I think when Jesus was on the cross, he was actually in agony, and he was responding to what he was feeling, and he cried out to God, but God in his infinite wisdom told David way back here that that's what Jesus would say on the cross. Look down in verse 6, Psalm 22, verse 6. But I am a worm and no man. Now, he didn't actually become a worm, but Isaiah said he looked like a worm. His body was so beaten because of our sin that he didn't even look human. Now, I know that can happen. I served as a chaplain. I was involved in responding to a lot of accidents along I-10. This stretch of I-10, once, once that's done, it'll be better. But, but that stretch that we had between Casa Grande and Picacho was the deadliest stretch of road in Arizona. And they fixed it, so it's not as deadly as it was. Um, and, uh, but I responded to a lot of fatal accidents, and some were so beat up, it was hard to picture they had once been a human being walking around. And that's what Jesus looked like on the cross for you. I'm a worm and no man. A, a reproach and despise to the people. All those who see me ridicule me. Remember the gospels telling the story there? They're making fun of Jesus while he's on the cross. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head. They say, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Jump down to verse 14. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. That's what happens when you hang like that. The bones actually get pulled out of joint. The body weight and gravity pull the joints out of socket. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaves to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. Look at verse 18. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. That's exactly what the Roman soldiers did. They, there was a garment. Now, sometimes they would just divide up garments and they would tear them, but Jesus had a seamless garment. It was knit for him, and it was seamless, and they decided they didn't want to tear that up, and so they gambled for it, and the winner got to keep it. That's exactly what this psalm said would happen. Now, jump all the way down to verse 31. 
They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has done this. Now let's move back to uh, 1 Corinthians 15. And by the way, uh, when Paul says, according to the Scripture, he's not only talking about Psalms and Isaiah and other passages we could have looked, like, looked at in the Old Testament. Remember, he also quotes Luke and as being Scripture, what Luke wrote in the Gospel as being Scripture. And then Peter then quotes what Paul is saying in his letters as being Scripture. So the apostles witnessed exactly what the prophets said they would see. And they saw what would happen when the Messiah came, and they saw that in Jesus, all of those things happened. So Christ died for our sins. Now, here's the second big thing. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Now, um, when I was a chaplain, I did that for eight years, and then it, 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 I started doing another ministry here at the church, and I finally had to stop doing that. Uh, I started do, working with the Trek, the middle school kids in our Awana program, and so I had, something had to go, so I stopped being a chaplain. Uh, you can't just keep adding and adding and adding, especially as you get older. <laughs> you can't do that. And so... Uh, but when I was a chaplain, I was often involved with the officers. And so one of the things they would have me do is make sure that they got the uh, testimony of all the witnesses. Now, I couldn't actually write down the testimony of the witnesses because that was enforcement and I was in support, but I could make sure they had all of them. So I would check them and I would go through and I saw a lot of witness testimony. And here's what the officers used to say. If you have three eyewitnesses to an incident, you're going to have four different stories. Why would they say that? Because people don't see it the same way. In fact, Kathy and I have a few things in our stories that we remember, and you know, I remember it the right way, of course, and, and she remembers it a different way. Uh, and, and you know, that happens, and, and that's also not quite true, and you know that. Uh, but, but, these eyewitnesses, they were sure they saw this. And I remember one eyewitness testimony, a guy saying that this car came down from the sky, banged into the road, and then slammed into his car. He ran into somebody else, but he blamed them that their car came out of the sky. You know what the officers immediately did? A blood test. <laughs> And there was a reason why. His, but listen, they, they'd say things differently. I remember talking with a husband and wife. They were in the same car, exact same location, looking at the same things. And she said the car was blue. And he said the car was black. And she said the guy was really tall. And he said the guy was short. And if you listen to their two descriptions, you realize two different vehicles and two different people were involved. But there was only one. See, eyewitness testimony is sometimes flawed or often flawed. And, and so it's interesting in the Scripture that th these next verses give such big credence to eyewitness testimony. But I want you to catch on and see why this is so important. Look in chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse uh, 4. 
and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. All right, you know, I know we're Baptists, okay? But I, I want you to really practice this, all right? I want you to give me a hallelujah. Ready? Hallelujah. Okay, I, I really want a hallelujah that's a little more excited than that, okay? Now, I'm going to read this verse again. And when it says that Christ rose from the dead according to the Scripture, then you guys give a serious hallelujah. Okay, ready? And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Hallelujah. Yeah, I hope you guys at home did that too. He rose from the dead. I, I've seen a lot of people that died. I watched my brother die. I watched my mom die. I was in the house when my dad died. I've watched people die. And they all stayed dead. Except for Jesus. And other people God raised from the dead. But Jesus is the only one who rose up by his own power. Now, look at what it says about eyewitnesses. In verse 5, and that he was seen by Cephas, or Peter, and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Some of them died, but some of them were still alive when Paul was writing this letter. In verse 7, after that, he was seen by James then by all the apostles, then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. So imagine if you went to court and you had 500 eyewitnesses and you asked every single one and every single one said exactly the same thing. See, this isn't just eyewitness testimony. This is consistent eyewitness testimony that says the same thing over and over and over because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He really did. He's alive today. I know there's people who've tried to go, gone overseas and they've gone into Israel and they've tried to find the tomb of Jesus. And one of them even said, he found the body of Jesus. No, he found a body of some other person, possibly named Jesus or Jesus, but it wasn't Jesus the Christ because he rose from the dead. Even the professional executioners who wanted to see him die, even they acknowledged the tomb was empty. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So listen, we have bad days, don't we? I love when we first came to this church, Fred St. John was teaching a younger adult class over in the fellowship hall. There used to be a solid wall there. Fred was over here teaching, and he read them a kid's book. I don't remember the name, but the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. What was the kid's name? Alexander. Alexander. Thank you, Jim. So, uh, Alexander and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Jim knows what it's like to be hard of hearing and a bunch of voices say something and you don't hear anything. But rah, 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 it sounds like Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. All right. And... Listen, on your worst day, you know Jesus Christ rose from the dead. 
You know, he died for your sins, and because you have believed and trusted in him, your sins are forgiven. And he rose from the dead, and you know, you're going to rise and be with him someday. And there's glory and joy in the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. All of the eyewitnesses said the same thing. He's alive. And Jesus himself said, I am I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. We can believe and trust in that. On your worst day, it's a glorious day because you walk with the risen Savior. Now, this next truth is not huge for us, but it is for other people, and that is, if there is no resurrection, life is hopeless. I'm always amazed, I actually have several friends who consider themselves to be religious persons. They have not trusted in Christ, they are not a believer in Jesus, but they think their religious faith helps them in their life, and they believe that when they die, it's just over, that the only way we live on is in the memories that we leave behind. And the scripture says, if that's all you believe, then life's not always worth living. Look at verse 14. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, 14, And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith also is empty. It's all vain. There's no point. If Christ is not risen, then just give it up. But he is risen. But if there is no resurrection, we need to realize life is hopeless. And sometimes well-meaning believers try to go to people who are not believers and tell them, life's still good. Now, life is hopeless without Christ. I had a lady talk to me about her daughter was marrying a guy, and she said, he's not a believer, but he's a really good man. And she was happy for her daughter to find a really good man. Well, if her daughter's walking away from the Lord and marrying a man who's not following the Lord, then that's a bad step. She might be more comfortable on an empty, pointless life. Look at verse 30. Paul said uh, in verse 30, Why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? See, he was enduring harassment and pain and if Christ wasn't really risen from the dead, why would he suffer like that? It wouldn't be worth it. There, if there is no resurrection, there is no hope. And people without Christ are not just needy, they're hopeless. They don't have that hope. Or they're delusional and they're believing a false hope. Some are. Now, uh, this is, I got a couple of things that show up in here that I want to point out to you that are not actually uh, big truths. So uh, the first is about creation, that creation is clearly taught throughout the Scriptures. Look at verses 21 and 22, 1 Corinthians 15, 21. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all all shall be made alive. Now, according to just these verses, which came first, 
sin or death. Did everybody get that? Look what it says at verse 21. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. Sin came first. Death did not occur until man sinned. By man came death. So those who teach evolution, and some Christians even believe in theistic evolution, that God used the process of evolution, that's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says there was no sin, I'm sorry, there was no death until man brought death into creation because of sin. So the fossil record is the record of the judgment of God in Noah's flood. It is not the record of millions and billions of years of death and dying on planet Earth. It's the record of God's judgment against sin. And the Bible throughout Scripture speaks of creation. And you can't say that you're going to follow God and follow the Bible and also believe in evolution. You can't follow God and follow the Scripture. You are rejecting what some parts of the Scripture teach as the clear truth of God. Now, there's another verse in here that really kind of messes with some people as they're reading through it. Look at verse 29. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? Now, okay, don't say any names, but how many of you know a church that practices being baptized for the dead, a so-called church? You know, yeah, there, I, I even had a friend tell me, hey, I've been baptized for you so that you can, when you die, you can be in our faith. And I said, I won't need that. <laughs> when I die, I'm with the Lord instantly, absent of the body, present with the Lord. And, and you know, there are people, and uh, one of these churches, they really, well, it, it's the Mormon church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They call it a Church of Jesus Christ, but they do not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. They do not believe He is God the Son. They believe He's a man who became a God, and they practice baptism for the dead. And so they really study genealogy, and they, they really research it. And even back in the 70s, before computers, they had all kinds of microfiche stuff that was produced by them uh, to be available for people to study uh, the genealogy and record. And so what a person would do is they'd chase down as many of their ancestors as they could, and then they'd be baptized for them one after another, after another, after another, so that those people might make it into heaven. Now, do you know what a pronoun is? It's somebody who's really into nouns. Pronoun! No, uh, a pronoun is a term you use. Like, I could call this guy right here, I could call him Lucas. I could also call him him, right? And if I wanted to tell you something Lucas did, I could say he did it. That's a pronoun. It takes the place of the noun. It's understood. So if I'm pointing at him and I said, he did this, who do you think I'm talking about? I know, you're thinking, he's, I'm blaming it on Raquel. No, I, I'm blaming it on Lucas. Why? The pronoun lets you know. All right, what is the pronoun in verse 29? They. They. All right, now I want you to look 
at verse 28. Now when all things were all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will be subject to him who puts all things under him, that God may be all in all. When it's talking about him, who's it talking about? The Son, Jesus Christ, God the Son, the Son of God. Now look at verse 30. And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? What's the pronoun? We. Who's he, what does he mean by the we? The believers. He's writing this letter to believers, to his brothers and sisters in Christ. So he's saying, we believers. Now notice the difference. See, in verse 28, he's talking about God. It's all about him. And in verse 30, it's all about we, us, the believers. But verse 29, he uses a different word. A word that's not connected with God and not connected with us believers, that word is they. See, in their culture, they had people who were baptized by the de for the dead. And the people in Corinth knew about that. And so Paul said, see, why are they baptized for the dead if there is no resurrection? He was using that as an argument for their culture. If they are being baptized for the dead, then they are believing there is going to be a resurrection and an afterlife. But he didn't say that's what we do. Do you see that clearly in the scripture? I'm not just making this up. They do that. We don't. Well, guess what? Today, they do that. But we don't. We practice baptism by immersion for those who have received Jesus Christ. We don't do it with babies. We don't do it. We practice it as for those who have received Christ, Jesus said, make disciples, baptize them, then teach them. And that's what we try and do. We do not baptize for the dead. Even though that phrase shows up in Scripture, it's not what believers were doing. It's what those other people were doing. All right, now let's jump back into these uh, letters. Uh, when you die, you are immediately in heaven. If you have received Christ, you are immediately in hell if you have not received Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. All right, number four, because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, we have great hope. Great hope. Like Tony the Tiger, they're great, right? Great hope that we have. Look at verse 50. Now I say this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. By the way, that plaque shows up in a lot of church nurseries. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That's not what it means. It's talking about in the rapture, some of us will go up to be with the Lord, and our bodies will be changed and glorified. So, now, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. How fast is the twinkling of an eye? They've actually done studies on it, scientific studies, and it's like nine nanoseconds. You can see the twinkling of an eye. And so, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So, if you die before that... You'll be raised. 
In fact, uh, when Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he said the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet them in the clouds. So the believers who have died, they're already with the Lord in heaven. Their bodies will be raised up, glorified, and then they will be reunited with their body, and they will be forever with the Lord. And we already in our body will be caught up, and probably in that twinkling of an eye as we're flashing from here to there, our bodies will be glorified, and then we'll go be with the Lord. So what are people in heaven, what do they look like now? They don't have their physical body. They're not ghosts. They're not angels. God has provided a spiritual body, as we'll see here in just a moment. Uh, verse 53, uh, for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption and this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Swallowed up in victory. And look at verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, now look in verse uh, 44. There's a natural body, there's a spiritual body. There's a natural body, there's a spiritual body, and God has created both. So if you die now, then your soul and spirit go to heaven in your spiritual body, and your physical body stays here on earth. Some kids who believe that when you die, you go to heaven, they freaked out when they found out the body got left behind. That happens. But you're still you. All of who you are goes to be with all of who he is. And then your body will be resurrected and glorified, and you'll be reunited with your body. Uh, you're not asleep in the grave. You are with the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. No time in between, okay? And so we have this awesome hope that when we die, we're with the Lord. So uh, years ago, a friend of mine named Randy was preaching here, and uh, Randy said, uh, when, if your life is threatened for believing in Jesus and, and they threaten to put you to death because you've trusted Christ, he said, go ahead, threaten me with heaven. <laughs> I love it. The worst thing that they could do to you, you go be with the Lord. Death is swallowed up in victory. I've used this a lot. Maybe you can help me, right? So the picture is of a whale and, and what's death? You don't remember it. Oh, boy. Death is a minnow. How big is a minnow? Look at your little fingertail. And death is a minnow, and, and the whale swallows up a minnow. Do you know whales eat minnows by the thousands? They come along a school of minnows, and the whale just opens his mouth and glides along and swallows them up. And death is going to be swallowed up like that. Death is something that we're very aware of now. Death is something that brings great sorrow now. I, mean, I, I look back at people that I have loved that have died, people who were members of this church who are now with the Lord in heaven, and, and I grieve the people. And death is this big, huge weight 
And, and even people who are dying, they're, they're laying in a hospital bed maybe and the family gathers around them and, and they don't want to die. Because death is the end of this life, and this life is all we have known. And that's why God repeatedly talks to us about what our life will be like in heaven with Him, so that we can look forward with joy. Anna and Leah and I went hiking this week. Was it Wednesday? I think it was Wednesday. Uh, we hiked up C.G. Mountain to the top, and then when we were coming down, I asked a guy to take a picture of us. And so he got a picture of the three of us up on the mountain. And then he was on his way down too. He had, he had gone up and back twice. And this was his second time up. And he decided he'd go down with us. And we got started talking. And what was his name, Anna? Was it Bruce? Bruce? Okay. And, and Bruce is a believer in Christ. In fact, he's in church right now in Arizona City this morning. And, and Bruce, we were talking along and we're walking along and we're talking about heaven and how great it's going to be and people that we know that we knew here that are up there and all the pain and all the sorrow and it'll all be gone. And we just had this great hope. And so I had an awesome fellowship with another believer, not just my granddaughters who are believers, but this other guy. And we're just praising the Lord as we walked down a mountain together. And I told him when we got down to where our cars were, I said, well, Bruce, if I don't see you again on this soil, then I'll see you in heaven. And he said, I'll look you up when we get there. He's a little older than me. Chances are, statistically speaking, he might get there before me. But you know what we know? We'll get there. We'll make it there. Not because we are amazing, because God is amazing. And he has made it possible so that we have this great hope. It's not just pie in the sky by and by. It's the truth of God's Word. And God's Word has been verified because all the promises God made have been fulfilled. And so these that are yet to be fulfilled, we know they will because we have a track record of thousands of years of history, God doing exactly what He said He would do. Here's the last big idea. Having confidence in Christ should compel us to love and serve Him. Look at the last verse, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Now, okay, kids, this doesn't mean be stubborn. It means be consistent, be steadfast, uh, be committed to it. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So you just keep going, you keep working, you keep serving. And, you know, Tim was talking about Awana, and we have no idea how many kids are going to be here. It's possible we'll only have our church family kids. It's possible. I hope not. I don't think that's how it will be. But I'll tell you what we're going to do. Every kid that's here is going to hear the truth of God's Word. They're going to hear about salvation and the gospel, and they're going to hear about our hope, and they're going to be challenged to grow in Christ and love and serve Christ. Why? Because we should be out of gratitude for what the Lord has done. We should reach out and minister and care for other people. And so victory is a gift, right? That's a gift that we receive. But the labor is our response to the gift. It's like a gifted athlete. 
a gifted athlete, they're not responsible for their giftedness. But how many of you have read about, seen, or heard about athletes that are tremendously talented that wash out because they won't work at it? So the gift is what they receive, but to successfully compete, they have to labor and give it their all in that game or that match or that race. And so we want to showcase what God has done and His awesomeness by faithfully serving Him. So we labor for Him. And our labor is not in vain in the Lord. God will reward our labor because He's an amazing God. So these five great truths, that Christ died for our sins, that Christ rose from the dead, that without the hope in Christ, there is no hope in life without the resurrection. And because Christ rose from the dead, we have an amazing hope, and now we should serve Him. It should be a natural response to all that He has done. Father, I pray that we would really see what you have done, that we would rejoice in our Savior, that we would be challenged to walk in obedience and to serve and to uh, present this truth to other people so they can know our Lord and Savior. We thank you that someday we'll be with you in glory. In Jesus' name, amen.